Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're heading toward Rosh Hashanah, and the sages actually compare the preparations for Rosh Hashanah as preparing for war, believe it or not. So we're talking about this internal process refining ourselves and everything like that. And that takes a lot of effort. So therefore, this war imagery comes out. So the sages say, really, we're talking about that internal struggle that's leading toward refinement, that's leading up to Rosh Hashanah, the new year, making sure we're the best versions of ourselves. So in Hebrew, the word for war is milchama. I'll tell you one thing. At the center of the word is the word lechem, which means bread. That, that in itself is interesting, like just this struggle over bread, like that's, that's war, you know? Um, but listen to this. This is super deep. So I heard from Ben Sion Simmons, our holy brother from the Happy Minion, something really wondrous. He said that if you rearrange the letters of Milchama, which means war, it actually spells two words, Ma Chalom, which means what is your dream? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? War is what is your dream? So within the context of this idea of this internal struggle, you see, most of us go through life leading very reactive lives. And what I mean by that is that We're so busy deflecting this thing coming at us and deflecting that thing coming at us and just trying to stay ahead of the next bit of opposition that we're facing that oftentimes we don't live our life. In other words, life is leading us or we're leading life from the outside in as opposed to from the inside out, leading a proactive life. And here's where the war part, I think, comes in. That means that we have to make decisions. You see, because if you want a clear direction, if you want to lead life from the inside out, you have to know where it is you're going and where it is you want to go. And that can be an evolving process over the course of your life. But it just, it, it requires making decisions. And you know something? Decisions are hard to make. And I think that's where this war process takes place. I always think of the, the Miller beer ad campaign, which was, you can have it all. And what did they mean by that? I mean, I, they meant for it to be very overblown and all the rest. It was supposed to resonate in that way. You can have it all, and you can have it all by drinking and buying our beer. Can you imagine <laughs> just the math that they were suggesting to us? But, but anyway, I think what they meant was that you can have a low-calorie beer with great taste. But what does that mean you can have it all? You don't have to make any decisions. You don't have to prioritize right? Because the natural process of just going through your life will lead to your having everything. So that's wrong in so many different ways. I can't can't even begin to list the numbers of things that are wrong with that statement. The reality is that we can't have it all, but we can have what's most important to us. But that comes through a process of refinement and making decisions and also adjusting along the way to what the circumstances of our life are. But that's like a war. Again, war in Hebrew, the word milchama is composed of two words, machalom, what is your dream? And I think that that's a lot of the process of leading up to Rosh Hashanah for us, up to the new year. Because the new year is when, like, the the new script gets delivered for us. You know, it's without kind of going into all the depths of what Rosh Hashanah is, but just to try to kind of get it in a, in a few sentences, what's going on basically, and we're going to talk about more of this in a moment, all the different dynamics, but basically what's going on is 
God is looking at us and he's saying, okay, based on who you are right now, this is your best next move. And I'm going to come up with a plan for you for the year. Based on who you are right now, this is your best next move. And the thing is, is that this is a participatory plan that's being made. And a lot of it is, what are we ready for? If we've gotten ourselves to this place where we're ready for more responsibility, then we can get more responsibility. If we're at a place where our actions suggest that we're not ready for more responsibility, then we kind of plateau. We kind of stay in the same place. So in other words, we have to demonstrate. We're sort of handing in our resume, which is our life, which is our soul, which is our deeds. And then God goes, okay. Okay, you're ready for the next thing. All right. So so now let's go way deeper. Let's go way, 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 way deeper. And there's... I don't want to call it a contradiction. I want to call it a surprising combination of, of things. But this thought was new to me, and I've never heard it discussed by anyone. So I want to introduce it by, by saying the following. I was very blessed to, to, to grow up across the street from the Karlbach Shul. Reb Shlomo Karlbach was my Rebbe. I started going to his show when I was 14 years old, and he was like a father to me. He married my wife and I, and, and he really introduced me to Torah and to Shabbos and to just the, the depths of, of Yiddishkeit and just what it, what it means. Just like everything, just the Rebbe's, just, just everything. Tzaddikim, just everything, you know, was... Like, for instance, you know, there, there's a famous letter that was written between the Kutzker Rebbe and Reb Leibla Eger's father. He said, your job was to bring him into this world. My job is to bring him into the next world. You know? So I really feel like Reb Shlomo, like, he's, his, among his many, many responsibilities, you know, number, you know, 9,011 was bring David Sachs into the next world, you know. So, so I'm very grateful to, to him and uh, everything that he, he did for me and really for the whole Jewish world. If you learn his teachings, you'll see that one of the things that he did, which was really, I think, a breakthrough, uh, is whenever he really gave over teachings... He always put them in the context of relationships between people. And it made all of the Torah that you were learning so real. that They weren't just these abstract concepts. They were very, very real. And maybe the hallmark of doing all of that was that whenever he really talked about God, he talked about God as our soulmate. God is your soulmate. And, you know, it's true in the deepest way because God puts a piece of himself inside of us and that's our soul. So, I mean, God is literally our soulmate, literally our soulmate, or we're God's soulmate. I mean, however you want to put it. But, but that, that is a complete game changer, total game changer, because all of a sudden you understand that God is the one who loves you the most. Like God is your soulmate. Like that's what's going on. In this, that, that's what's going on. I was wondering what's going on. That's what's going on. You know, we're, we're so used to thinking of, of God, the way God is taught, even, you know, even with the best intentions, is as this almighty abstract power who zaps people and you know what I mean and yeah there's some good things too but I mean it's how do you ever begin to wrap your mind around a God like that and then all of a sudden you hear God's your soulmate oh my God like that's everything changes literally everything changes okay so with that in mind with that in mind and and by the way let me just add one more thing which is that 
again, for most people, God is this overwhelming abstraction. And they can't quite put their finger on God. But you know something? When something bad happens in my life, this much I know, it's God who did it. (laughs) Now, that's the reference point that most people have with God. Do you hear how different that is? It's a complete opposite. Complete opposite of really what's going on. That God is our soulmate. God is the one who loves us the most. Okay, so now I want to go deeper into this point. And now I'm going to raise that question that never occurred to me and was just one of those moments. And here it is. So everybody knows that you don't just walk into Rosh Hashanah. And everyone should know that Rosh Hashanah is not just the new year for the Jewish people. It's for all of God's children, which means the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people in the world. Everybody in the world. Rosh Hashanah is for them. That's very important because this same vision, this new light that God is recreating the world, remaking the world, along with all of our destinies for the year. Like this applies to all of us, every creature, every creature. Okay? So that's important. That's important. So you don't just walk into a day like that. This is the most important day of the year in, in many respects. You have to prepare for it. So we're given the, the month leading up to Rosh Hashanah called El. And, and that's the month we're in right now. We're about halfway through El. In fact, tonight is the full moon of El. Um, and we know the Maharal says that the essence of the month shows itself the most on the, on, on the day of the full moon, because that's when the, the light shines the brightest. The light of that month shines the brightest. So right now we're right on the precipice of like the, the peak of, of, of everything that we're going to be talking about right now, about Elul. So there are many things that are said about Elul, but I want to juxtapose two things, and this is really the question. If you take the letters of Elul, it's the first letters of the phrase from the Song of Songs by King Solomon. Shir Shirim by Shlomo Amelech. Ani Lododi Vedodi Li, which means I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. So it's talking about a very intimate relationship between us and God. Now, there are many paradigms between us and God. You've got King and subject, right? You've got best friends. You've got twins. You've got doctor and patient. God says, Ani Hashem Rofecha. I am God, your doctor, your healer. And you've got my favorite, just because I think it's just so surprising. God in Tanakh refers to us at one point as our big sister. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so... You have all of these different relationships, all of these different paradigms. But I want to zero in on two because they go together. The first is the month of Elul, which is right? I am my beloved's and my beloved's is, is mine. And then all of a sudden you get to Rosh Hashanah because Elul flows into Rosh Hashanah and God becomes the king And God is all of a sudden decreeing what your year is going to be. Rosh Hashanah goes by another name. It's a bit of a scary name. You know, we don't like to call it this much so much, but we've got to be honest. It's called Yom Hadin, which means, you ready for this? Judgment Day. I mean, you can't get heavier than that, right? So, So here's my question. Here's my question. We don't say that the Torah is schizophrenic. Meaning, we don't say that you all of a sudden go from this intimate relationship and then all of a sudden, like, in a moment, God is all of a sudden the king who's making decrees. Do you you understand how that's like, like, fasten your seatbelt, everything's about to change. We don't want to say that because there's no narrative flow to that. So now here's our question. If that is what is going on, what is the flow? 
Okay. Now, let me tell you what it isn't. Okay? I saw the first episode, maybe the first couple of episodes of this, like, rom-com on, I think it was on Netflix or whatever. It was highly rated. I'm just giving you my own personal opinion. I, I didn't end up watching the whole thing, but basically it's this charmingly, well, she's supposed to be charmingly awkward. I just found her annoying, frankly, but this charmingly awkward woman who, you know, gets dragged to a bar and then ends up going home with a guy and, you know, wakes up the next morning in his apartment and sees he's a movie star. And it's sort of like, what? She she had no idea. He just seemed like a normal guy. He's on movie posters. This guy's a star. So it's sort of like she had no idea who she was with. Okay. So that that isn't what is going on here. It's not that all of a sudden we're, you know, we've got this amazing intimate relationship between us and God. And then we find out God's the king. I, I, my, my lover is the king. How did, what? That, that is not what's happening. That's not what's happening. And I'll give you um, an argument for, for, for that being the case, that it isn't happening. Because by Elo, we also say the king is in the field. What, what does that mean? The king is in the field. That means that during the year, you know, the king normally is in his castle. And you can't quite get access to the castle. It's very hard. It's, the king is behind barriers. But, but during this period in the year, God makes himself so available. Like, like just something changes where, where God is not only more available, God is actually out in the field looking for us. So that's what it means. The king is in the field. These are really the most exalted days. And they're only getting more exalted. As holy as Elul is, it ramps up a whole quantum degree between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And it becomes even more exalted. God is the closest he is all time during the year, during those 10 days. All right? And of course, at the end of those 10 days, that's when the judgment, so to speak, you know, comes. The book is sealed, we say. You know, there's still opportunities, but that's, that's what we're taught. The, the book is written on Rosh Hashanah and it's sealed on Yom Kippur. Okay. But what I'm trying to say is, is that, that God is in the field. The king is in the field. So we know that this relationship that we're having, this intimacy that we're having in Elul, is with the king. So again, what is the narrative flow? The idea that, that I have this intimate relationship and then all of a sudden my partner turns out to be the king, the one who's going to be making decrees for my life and for the whole world. How do I understand that flow? So I was learning this and I was learning it with Lynn Gold and, and she had this wonderful insight that I want to share with you. What is the foundation of a good relationship? And I learned this from my father. My father was a psychologist. He practiced for 50 years, 5-0, 50 years. And he used to say this all the time. The foundation of a good relationship is trust. Okay? If you, if you have that total trust in the other person and they have that in you, that is the foundation of a healthy, enduring relationship. That's what it is. So that is intimacy, by the way. You see, you can't have intimacy without trust. And if you don't have trust, it's not true intimacy. The two go hand in hand. And so this is what I think is going on in terms of the flow from Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li, that I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And then all of a sudden that that flows into God being king and God making decrees about my life. This is a time to develop and to work on that trust with God. And then if you have that trust, do you know what happens? 
when the king makes his decrees, you go, that's absolutely what I need. Because I trust you. Whatever it is, I trust you. You see, let me, let me give you an example so that we, we, we're communicating. Let's say someone goes to a top doctor and the doctor says, listen, we found this thing in you and we got to get it out. And this is the top doctor, okay? Now, would I say, you're not cutting me open. No way. No, 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 no. You're going to take a knife and you're actually going to slice me open and you're going to reach into my guts and take something out? No, thank you. Would In a million years, would I say that? If I trusted this doctor, I'd be, thank God you found this. Thank God you found this. Get you. Get it the heck out. When can we do it? But I know that there's pain. And, and, but, but I trust my doctor. And I know what he's doing is for the best for me. I know, I know that it's coming from the one who loves me the most. And, and, and that's what it is. Now, that's where we want to get to. And, and I think it's where we need to get to. We need to get to that place because we, not just for Rosh Hashanah, not just for Elul, because I think that one of the secrets to happiness is to actually live a life that's where that's the foundation of your relationship with, with, with life, with God, with yourself and everything like that. Because you know whatever you're doing, you know that you're in the hands of the one who loves you the most, and that whatever is happening to you is for the best. Right? But again, that doesn't mean that we can be passive individuals. This is not a license to be passive. Like you can say, well, I know I'm in the hands of the one who loves me the most, and then I can be passive, and then he's just going to steer me in the best directions and all the rest. That's not the Jewish vision. The Jewish vision is that we are actively working our absolute hardest, but whatever is the result of our actions and our effort is absolutely the best. But we have to do our part too for the vision to be complete in terms of this relationship. And again, that harkens back to this idea of milchama, war, being ma'chalom, what is your dream? What is your dream? Because remember, a person can work incredibly hard, but if they're completely scattered and they don't know really what they're working toward, what it is that's going to make them the happiest, what it is that they want the most, it may not yield the results that we're, you know, we, we deserve to have yielded, you know, in terms of the intensity of our desire. We want to be successful. But that means we have to have clarity about what we want. Which means, and this is the war process, making decisions. See, making decisions is so hard because that means when I make a decision, that means that I'm closing a door. And I may, that may be a door that I've left open for myself for decades but you know what? If it's no longer truly relevant to who I am at this stage in my life, then it's just confusing to have another door open. So we have to be really smart. And, you know, you don't have to do it all by yourself. You can you, you talk to people about things like this, you know, and you don't do it rashly. I heard someone tell me one time, I thought it was just... Just like classic, great advice. Any major decision that you make in your life, right? Make sure you at least have a night's sleep on. Because you may think about it differently in the morning. Don't make any big decision about your life rashly. Don't do it. It, it's, it doesn't make any sense. So you think about it, you talk about it with people, and then... And then you make the decision. And that decision-making, by the way, we have another word for that, decision-making. You ready for this? Growth. 
We all want to grow. How do you grow? How do you grow? Through making decisions. That's, that's the thing. That's the thing. Okay. So now, let's, let's go deeper still. Let's go deeper still. Because basically, this whole paradigm is about relationships. Like you are in a relationship with God. That's what it means to be alive. That's what it means for there to be a world. There's also this amazing relationship between you and yourself. That's also a relationship. You have to treat yourself with respect. You know, there are a lot of people who would never say a bad word about another person in their life. And yet, if you hear them talk about themselves, it's like obscenity. Would you ever say that about another person? So how can you say that about yourself? So having a healthy relationship with yourself is is also like a big part of all of this. But everything has to be seen through the context of relationships. What's your relationship with your body? What's your relationship with your soul? What's your relationship with God? Everything is about relationships. You know, I had an experience. I'm I'm just sharing this with you because it was just, oh my goodness. Anyway, I'm sure this is showing on my, uh, my lowness, right? But I'm just sharing it with you because, you know, we're all kind of going through life together. So whatever, maybe, maybe this will help someone. I don't know. There was someone collecting money on the street and I kind of sort of have known him a little bit over the years. He's not exactly, there's certain people who collect money and they're there every day or on a regular basis. This person kind of I, I could go months or maybe even a couple of years without seeing this person. So I saw him not long ago. I, I went up to him to give him some money and he yelled at me. He said, I don't want your money. Get out of here. And I was like, I was like devastated. And, you know, I walked away and I was thinking, why is he so mad at me? You know, how could I, A, why is he so mad at me? And what a low life I am that I made him mad at me, (laughs) you know? And I remembered the last time we spoke, we had an argument. Like a very heated argument, actually. Which I don't have on a regular basis with anyone. But with this person, I had a heated argument with. It was about a third party that he was very invested in and who's in a lot of trouble. And I knew that third party and it's someone who I've tried to help many times over the years, myself. And... We had a serious disagreement about whether this person was capable of taking care of themselves. Okay. Without going into too many details. I, I felt for overwhelming reasons that this person was not capable of taking care of themselves. And I don't want to go into details, but if you trust me, you'll trust that what I'm saying is, is true. And this person very much disagreed. And, and I was trying to persuade him because I thought that it was pretty obvious that this person couldn't take care of themselves. And that just led into this escalation. And then we had this argument. Okay. I thought that it was not a big deal and that we had resolved it. But when I went, when I saw him sometime later and he yelled at me to get away from him, I realized that I have to apologize to him. And 
I didn't see him, you know. And I was afraid to apologize to him for a lot of reasons because I didn't want to get yelled at again. And it was so embarrassing to be shouted at by a person collecting money on the street who wasn't yelling at anyone else, by the way. He was not someone with like Tourette's syndrome who was just yelling at people. No, he was yelling at me, right? I thought, how am I going to apologize to this guy? And of course, when something becomes hard to do, all of a sudden the resistance piles up and you just come up with excuses why you don't have to do it. Not because you don't have to do it, because it's too hard to do. And I'm sure we can all relate to that. But just be aware that that's the next step. When something becomes hard to do, the next step is your Yetzirah is going to start to tell you why you don't have to do it. Okay? So my Yetzirah is telling me, you don't have to apologize to this guy because you didn't do anything wrong. All you told him was that this other person wasn't capable of taking care of themselves, which they are not. And what do you have to apologize to him for having that opinion for? Right? So it's it's starting. <laughs> the process is starting. It's getting harder. Then I drive by and I see him stand, sitting on a little milk crate in the middle of the sidewalk. And I thought, here's my chance. I thought, I can't do it. Can't do it. I don't have the strength. I don't have the strength to do it. And then later on, I drove by and I saw him again. And I didn't want to do it. But you know what? My hands turned the wheel to park the car. So, thank God. I didn't have the strength, but my body did it for me, you know? And as I was walking up to him, I was saying, he's going to start screaming at you. He's going to start screaming at you. And then I thought to myself, well, who am I? What am I? I'm nothing anyway. If I'm nothing, then what is he screaming at? He's not screaming at anything, because I'm not anything. And then I started praying that I should be able to actually apologize to him. And then I, I thought to myself, okay, what am I going to say to him? Because it had been months already since this thing happened. But I thought to myself, I can't go into the new year. I can't go into the new year if this is an outstanding relationship problem. There has to be peace between me and my brothers and my sisters. And he's my brother. So how can I go into the new year? So I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to say. When I see him, I'm going to say, I'm here to apologize. I'll just start that way. And then I thought to myself, arrogance. You're announcing, I'm here? So you can't start with the word I. So, I don't remember what I said exactly, but I saw him and I apologized. And he said to me, He started talking about the other guy again. And I said, I just want you to know I'm not here because of the other person. I'm here because you're mad at me. And I feel bad that I did something to make you angry at me. And I'm, I want to apologize. I want there to be peace between us. And, and, I'm, and I'm sorry, whatever I did. And he said, well... Maybe I was overly harsh with you. I thought you had secret information about this person that you weren't sharing with me. And that's why I got mad at you. Anyway.
You know, when people are in a fight with each other, you say, well, why can't you just apologize? And, you know, the people who say, why can't you apologize? Sometimes we forget how hard it is to apologize. <laughs> but it worked out. I'm so glad I did it. You know, if I make a list of the things that I did this year, that might be the best thing I did all year. I don't know. It's possible. It may have been, it certainly was probably the hardest thing I did all year. So, I'm just saying if I did it, you can do it too. Because we're all human beings. And, um, just re just resist that next step, please. Or at least, if nothing else came from this story, just remember about that in-between step where once something becomes difficult, all of a sudden there's going to be a part of you that's going to tell you why you don't have to do it. And just understand that that's, that's the Yitzhar. That's your negative inclination just kicking in and trying to make it even harder. And what are we anyway? We're nothing anyway. So you know what? If someone yells at us, it's mamish. Your soul is mamish being cleansed at that moment. Those you, you hear it as yelling. Think of it as just a scrubbing brush on your soul. Just cleaning your soul. And who doesn't want their soul clean? Right? Okay, so so we got onto this subject because I'm telling you that all of life is relationships. And for a relationship really to have umph, you need what's called kavana. Kavana can be translated a lot of different ways. Holy intention, right? It means that you're actually present, that you know what you're doing at the time. And for mitzvahs really to have their full strength, you have to have kavana. In other words, you can't just do them habitually and you can't just do them by rote. I mean, mitzvahs still remain mitzvahs. But if you want mitzvahs to have wings and to soar to heaven and to bring huge light to the world and like the energy that you exude to make like giant angels, right? If you want that to happen, you have to know what you're doing. You have to be there. You know, you have to connect to God. You have to cleave to God at the moment that you're doing a mitzvah. And then what springs from you is something enormous and holy and great. Okay. So in other words, there's a direct correlation between this word, what we call kavana, intention, and the deed itself. And it's so easy just to like sleepwalk through life. All right. I think that this is one of the reasons why everything, you know, for the last bunch of years, like it's kind of like tapering off right now. But for at least a decade, probably the heart of popular culture was all about zombies. <laughs> why? How did all of life, how did, how did all of everything become about zombies? And it's because all of us on the deepest level are sleepwalking through life. We're the walking dead. I mean, you see people just staring at their phones walking. I mean, is that zombification or not? It's the essence of being a zombie. We're zombies. And so I think it resonated on a deep soul level and just everyone just wanted to hear just like, Tell me more about zombies. I want to watch zombies. Because <laughs> that's me. You know, everyone's favorite topic is to talk about themselves, right? So I'm a zombie. Let's watch more zombies, you know? So anyway, the opposite of being a zombie is having kavana, is having holy t intention, like really locking in. So that's what we want. So now I want to tell you, like, some great stuff. You ready? We're on, we're past my long, long, sad story. <laughs> and we're on to a brand new, exciting topic. And here it is. What does it mean to have Kavana? 
So before we start, let me just give you the the normal conventional version of having kavana. Okay, that means like I heard from Rabbi Graydon something very good. If you want to have kavana, you know how long it takes to have kavana? One second. And what does that mean? That means that one second before you say a blessing, one second before you go, I'm about to make a blessing. So if you just take that one second before you say a blessing or do a mitzvah to say, I'm about to do a mitzvah, I'm about to do a blessing, the blessing that you say or the mitzvah that you do will be with kavana because you'll be in the moment. So that's that's easy enough, right? One second. Okay. So then you know that your mind will be there. Okay, awesome. So now, in order, we have different categories of observing mitzvahs and different categories of breaking mitzvahs. Okay? Breaking commandments. Keeping commandments, breaking commandments. Very good. Now let's say I keep a commandment, but I didn't have any intention. I just kind of did it. Um, do I get credit for keeping the mitzvah? This is a, a topic that the rabbi spent an enormous amount of time on explaining. Okay, now let's do the opposite side for a moment. If I break a commandment and I didn't have any intention to break the commandment at all, like let's let's say, for instance, um, you know, it's daytime and it's the Sabbath and I'm just kind of walking in my house and part of my my elbow hits the light. So the light goes on in the middle of the day. I absolutely had no intention of turning on the light. And I'm not even benefiting from the fact that the light is on because it's daytime. Did I break the commandment? So the answer is no. You just, the answer is no. You just did what you did and, and, and that's, that's kind of what it is. Okay. So, so in other words, you have to have intention in order to break a commandment and you have to have intention, kavana, in order to keep a commandment, a mitzvah. Okay, good. Now, with that basic introduction, let's look at four exciting cases, <laughs> four very amazing cases from the Talmud, where the question is, did you keep or break the commandment? All right, so now we're going into the game show part of this week's talk. All right, you ready? So, so it's Passover night, Pesach night. You do not want to eat matzah. Why do you not want to eat matzah? I don't know. But you're in your house and you do not want to eat matzah. A non-Jewish person comes into your house and forces matzah into your mouth. This is a case from the Gomorrah. You are eating matzah. You swallow it. The question is, do you get credit for the mitzvah or not? Okay, you actively did not want to eat the matzah. That's case number one. And we're going to do two positive commands and two negative commands. All right, so that's that's a pod because it's a positive command to eat matzah Pesach night. Okay, that's case number one. Case number two, it's Rosh Hashanah. You have a shofar. You have no intention of blowing the shofar because it's Rosh Hashanah, but you happen to be a musician and it's Rosh Hashanah and you're just kind of playing melodies on the shofar. Do you get the mitzvah for hearing the the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? Yes or no? Okay, that's question number two. These are two positive commands. Now, that's, did you get the mitzvah? Did you keep the mitzvah? Now we're going to transition into, did you break the commandment? Okay, here are the two, did you break the commandment questions. Um, there's something called chalev. Chalev is a certain fat which is in an animal. And there is, within animals, sections of fat which are permitted and sections of fat which are called chalev, which are absolutely forbidden. And it's actually a very severe mitzvah. It's, it's called an iser karas which is like breaking Shabbos or something like that. They say when soul gets cut off. So it's a very, it's a very severe um, prohibition not to eat forbidden fat. So, 
Someone eats forbidden fat completely by accident. Did they break a commandment or not? They weren't intending on doing it at all? They ate it? Did they break the commandment? That's the question. And now, our final example, and this is for, this one's for adults only, okay? This is a little bit way out, but this is from, from the Talmud. A man sleeps with a woman thinking that it's his wife, but it isn't his wife. Don't ask me how. We'll leave the circumstances up to you novelists out there. But you just have to take it, take it at face value. The Gomorrah says, the Talmud says, he sleeps with a woman, thought it was his wife, it wasn't his wife. Did he break a commandment? All right. So now, believe it or not, all four of these cases, we're going to review the four cases now. All four of these cases have the same through line. The person didn't intend on doing it, but they did it anyway. Do they get credit or did they do something wrong? So let's review the cases. The first case, the person who passed overnight got matzah, stuffed into his mouth, forced into his mouth, didn't want to eat the matzah, does he get the mitzvah of eating matzah Pesach night? And the answer is yes. He does. He does get credit. Why? Because his stomach enjoyed it. He got pleasure. His stomach got pleasure. Okay. Interesting. Example number two, blowing the chauffeur on Rosh Hashanah. Didn't intend to do it. It's just a musician kind of playing the chauffeur. Um, does he get credit? Yes. The answer is yes. You know why? Because he got pleasure. He enjoyed the sound of the chauffeur. Again, keyword pleasure. And if you want to know the Hebrew, it's Hana. Hana is it in Hebrew. Case number three, those are the positive commandments. Now, what about the negative commandments? Did the person violate the commandment of eating forbidden fat? Yes. Why? Because they enjoy the taste of the fat. It's tasty. Last case, what about the man who thought it was his wife? Right? He 100% in this case, 100% thought it was his wife. It wasn't his wife. Did he do something wrong? Yes. Why? Again, because he got pleasure. Okay. So now this, remember, we're trying to define what is kavana. What does it mean being there? What does it mean to actually lock into that relationship, lock into the moment? So what we see now from these cases, something very dramatic, which is that the key to having kavana is taking pleasure in the relationship. What we had thought going into this discussion was that kavana was a mental thing. Remember I said, all you have to do is one second before say, I'm about to do a mitzvah. This is a very mental thing. But now we're peeling away the layers and we're realizing that at the heart of Kavana is this idea of taking pleasure in the act. And that's what it means for us to be in a real relationship with God. Are we taking pleasure in this relationship that we're in? Are we taking pleasure in the mitzvahs? Are we taking pleasure in like all these like amazing opportunities, spiritual opportunities that God is giving us every single moment of our lives? If we're alone in a room or if we're with a crowd of people, whatever it is, wherever we go, God is presenting us with opportunities to take pleasure in this relationship. And only if we really are taking full pleasure in this relationship do we have full kavana? Are we really there? 
So, so let's just wrap it up. And, and I'm going to just end with this, to me, this awesome, awesome, awesome teaching that Reb Shlomo gave over in the name of the Ishbitzer Rebbe. And he said this in the time of Elul, and he said the following thing, okay? Which is, where do I begin? If I want to fix my soul, where do I begin? And he said that you start by fixing everything you're doing right. <laughs> so, so you say to me, wait a second, if I'm already doing it right, what do I have to fix it for? Because he said, this thing that you're doing, are you doing it with all of your soul? Right? That's the question. Are you doing it with all of your heart? That's the question. So that's how we begin. If we want to fix our souls, if we want to take the full advantage of this time, we begin with those things that we're already doing. And you do it with all of your heart. And all the rest will follow from there. He would say, uh, he would talk about on Rosh Hashanah how his young child had cut his finger and, and how amazed his son was that over the days he watched this cut on his finger go away. That it healed. And it's like, you know, we, we take these things for granted, but a young child, like you get a, a cut, why shouldn't it stay there forever? If you think about it, that, that would be the normal thing. If I, if I took a knife and carved something in the table, that's not going to heal. That's not going to go away. So why should it be any different with, with our bodies? And yet you see, like you have a cut and then over time it goes away. And so he said, just like the body heals, the soul can heal. That, that's, that's an amazing thing. God can heal our souls. Amazing. And then he gave another example that I also loved, which was he talked about how in, in, um, in, at NASA, the, the space agency, that you had people at the control center, like in Houston or wherever it was, or um, in Pasadena, um, they're pressing buttons, and these buttons that they're pressing, millions and, and I don't perhaps even billions of miles away, like like the arm out of some spaceship is now like coming out, or the antenna on some spaceship is now tilting because of the buttons that they're pressing billions away. And he said that that's like us and and the mitzvot. The mitzvot are the buttons. We press these buttons and then all the way up in heaven and around the world and millions and billions of miles away, changes are taking place because of what we're doing right here. Another amazing example. So, Yedidya... His, his neshama should have an aliyah. So, and he's so you know, you, you're talking about, you know, you're, you're coming to like a happy minion and you, you're, you're not ready for it and you don't want it. And you're, you know, it's like, it's, it's too much joy in there and you, you can't walk in and all the rest. But the, the irony is, is that how did you get to the front door? <laughs> so obviously your body led you there. There, there was as, as much as you sort of like, quote unquote, didn't want it. Obviously, you did want it because how can you be at the front door unless you wanted it, right? So, so that that in itself is an interesting dynamic. Like, like what I found was like during that story I told you, I I didn't have the strength to apologize to that guy, and yet my arms turned the wheel and I found myself parking. You know, so it's sort of like sometimes if you really want something, it goes into your limbs and your body will actually lead you to the proper place, you know? You can't always rely on that because, you know, if you're an alcoholic, your body will lead you into a bar, you know? So you can't you can't just sort of like say, oh, wherever I'm walking, that's the right place for me to be walking because that's like hippy-dippy BS, okay? So you can't, you can't do it that way. But you do find that sometimes if you, if it's coming from a holy place, 
that you will be led to a holy place. So that that is also a, a real um, thing, and and so so I'm sort of struck by that. And and I'll tell you a, a very holy teaching that I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Yishbitzer Rebbe, which is if I were to ask you, um, what is the highest part of your body? You'd probably tell me the top of your head, right? That that makes sense, and yet. When you raise your hands above your head, you see the highest part of your body is actually your hands. Wow, that's like a whole paradigm shift. Now, look how the Ishbitzer applies this. He says that on Yom Kippur, you've got two identical goats, right? One goes on the altar and the other gets pushed off a cliff. And like, basically, that's that sort of like in some incredibly mystical, amazing way, you know, atones for the sins of Israel. That's that's where we get the word scapegoat from, by the way. That's where that English word comes from. Okay? Now, these goats have to be identical. So, how do you know which one is going to go to the altar, which is like the highest place, and which one is going to be pushed down a rocky cliff, right? Which is like a pretty harsh end to, to its life. They're identical. So, so, you reach with your hands into a box... The high priest reaches into his hand to a box and pulls out one and, and, and it gets assigned that way. In other words, it's this lottery system. And the lottery system is being done with the hands, which are the highest part of the body. In other words, you're accessing a place beyond your mind. So sometimes the hands, because the hand is leading you to this decision, sometimes your body is connected beyond your mind. Usually we think that the mind is connected to the highest place, but sometimes the body is connected to the highest place, right? So can you imagine what kind of ultimate being we're capable of transforming into if our mind is refined and our body is refined? Because when we do the commandments, when we do the mitzvahs, it refines our flesh as well. That's that's that's. That's a piece of the puzzle that a lot of people don't appreciate in Torah, which is that we think that it's about your soul and everything's about your soul and everything like that. But you know something? The end game for Torah is the mass resurrection of the dead. Talk about zombies, right? But this is like the opposite of zombies. (laughs) This is where the body and the soul both become refined. In other words, if the body is just kind of just this carcass which is just here to give us some sort of like physical presence in the universe so that the soul can do things, then why does the body come back in the end of days? In other words, you see by virtue of the fact that the body comes back, that that is part of this divine relationship. In other words, God fills the entire world, but that includes our body and our souls. So we've got to get our bodies and our souls working together. And and I'm just saying that, can you imagine where sometimes the mind doesn't know, but the mind is sufficiently refined that the mind is working with the body so that even the body is going to good places when the, when the mind doesn't know to go to those places. Rib Shlomo gave an example. Have you ever turned the corner? You're walking down the street. You're not used to turning that corner, but something tells you, you turn the corner and then you see an old friend, right? That We've all had similar experiences to that. So the body was connected beyond the mind. So that, that, that can happen too. But again, we don't want the, we, we, we're not talking about the alcoholic just sort of like being wondrously led into a bar. We're not, we're not talking about that example. But to, to, to avoid that, to get to this very, um, you know, transcendent place where the mind is leading you to good directions, and when the mind doesn't know to lead you into the good directions, even the body is leading you into good directions. That's a place that we can actually get to. We can actually get to that place. And and, and the key way, if you want to be at that level, is through Torah. Torah will take you to that place. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. 
I'd love to hear them. 